Let's open the word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy that you show to us, your goodness that we see in the world around us, and in your dealings with us. Though sometimes we don't understand your purposes, God, we know and believe that you are good and that you're working all things together for our good and for your glory. We praise you for Kyle and Lisa, and they're celebrating 17 years of, of marriage together, and we also pray for Joey and Sydney as they're getting ready to start their journey. and. We also just lift up this time to you and ask for your help um, to be better equipped to train up the little children that you've entrusted to us as they become bigger children and become adults and, and enter off into the world. Give us wisdom and discernment to know better how to, how to be faithful in this task. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are out of the infancy, the childhood age range now, and I, I felt like, you know, you may have had ongoing questions or, I mean, we had very fruitful discussion. I'm sure we could spend more time on that. Um, I, just as an opportunity then to plug the book, in case you, in case you found like, you know, that what we talked about the last couple of weeks was actually, was helpful or, um, and you're wondering, wanting to think more about it or um, spend more time reading about it. Again, a reminder, a lot of this material, it's not directly from this book, but a lot of it is is going to be covered in this book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, by, by Paul Tripp's brother, Ted Tripp. So he actually has chapters going over the same age range as infancy to childhood and childhood and teenage years as well. So I don't know if this is in our book rack or not, but I think it is. Um, so uh, it's, it's a great resource for thinking these things through. So now we're going to talk about childhood, 6 to 12 roughly. And these are the what he's going to call the middle years when the world of your child begins to widen they have more friends they're interacting with more people maybe they're going to school they're playing on maybe sports teams and they're they're starting to see the world a little bit more and i'm going to show a graph that he, he doesn't he doesn't mention this in his talk but this comes from this book shepherding a child's heart where he shows this inverse relationship between authority and influence now just to clarify he doesn't mean that your actual authority is reduced over time. Like you still have God-given authority over your child. But what he means is, when they're very young, your ability to coerce them to do whatever you want them to do is very high. You can make them go to church. You can make them wear whatever clothes you want to and uh, eat. You, know, you, you, you decide what they eat. You decide everything about their lives, you're in control of all those things. And yet, your ability to reason with them and influence them to make right decisions is very low because their, their capacity for that kind of uh, influence is very low. And yet, as time goes on, as now we're in kind of these middle years, and really since the day they were born, your authority in the sense of your ability to coerce them to do what you want is beginning to decrease. As they get larger, as they start developing independent reasoning, as they get stronger, you know, there comes a time when you no longer can just make them do what they want to. If, you, if they want to, they'll say no to you and you can't do anything about it. And yet, the goal is that as that's happening, your influence in their life is growing. And that's kind of what we're going to start talking about this week and the, next, the, the coming weeks and continuing on to when they're teen years. And by influence, he means... We want our children to have the character, and they're beginning as they begin to internalize what we've been teaching them, and they're they're trusting our wisdom and our our character. They begin to respond to our influence without just being told, you know, you must do this. But they see the wisdom and, and the beauty of living life God's way. So that's the goal. But 
in order to open up, I want to just start with a couple questions. We're going to be thinking about the, the big idea for these middle years, ages 6 to 12, is developing character. How do we help our children not just you know, do the right things, obey, you know, check the boxes and obey the instructions they've been given, which is more of the focus of the younger years, but how do you help them develop character? So, opening discussion, how do you see a lack of godly character in our culture today, or maybe in your home even, if you want to keep it more personal? And what's really the cause? And that's what I want to start, we're going to think about this in more detail, uh, more depth later, but what, what's really underneath the lack of character? So either one, if you see a lot, how do you see a lack of godly character? And, and then what do you think is underneath that? What's the cause of that lack of character? I think kids just get to do whatever they want. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Free reign in the home? Yeah. Okay. I really think these days children have not been taught that there's somebody besides themselves in the world. So everything is about themselves. Not that as adults we don't all have that problem still, but it's right. not even addressed at all in the society today. Right? So I, I have a personal motto I use for myself. I say, uh, honoring God in all that I do. Um, but I forget that a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get like wrapped up in wanting to do the things that I think of as godly, like get my family to church on time. Right? But if I get so wrapped up in trying to get my family to church on time that I'm yelling at my kids because they're not getting ready in the right way or fast enough, then I am not honoring God. You know, so that's that's godlessness, a lack of godly character in my own. You know, and I'm teaching that to my kids as I'm as like, oh, you know, goddamn mad. And, you right. Know, okay, the church is more important than being kind to us. You know? Right. Which you know to. Kind of play off what you were saying and what Neil was saying. Neil, you said that you know people, kids do whatever they want. So we might be tempted to think, well, if we need godly character, we just need to give kids more rules, more structure. Is that the right solution? What's the issue with that approach to trying to develop godly character? You know, be an example and you know have rules. Yeah. They're already breaking rules. Right. Yeah, and and you might be able to create a level of discipline and structure with rules and well, and discipline <laughs> that you administer, uh, but that's not going to create a godliness, uh, a genuine love for for Christ, or uh, you create moralism, but but not uh, a godly attitude that centers on Christ and the gospel. Right. Yeah, that's an important distinction. We're not just trying to make moral citizens that can vote and obey the laws and you know wear their seatbelts um you know we're trying to create trying to lead our children to trust god to love him and to love their neighbor as themselves out of love for god out of the desire to honor him so we're going to talk more about it but i'm going to suggest to you that really at the root of the godlessness the the lack of godly character is really and idolatry, where something besides God is on the throne of our children's hearts, which causes them to act in a certain way. And then, it, you know, we turn that around and look at ourselves, and the same is true for us. When we're acting, you know, when we're yelling at our kids to, because we got to get to church on time, you know, God is not on the throne. 
being on time and my reputation is, you know, the, the family that's got it all together is on the throne. So, you know, this is um, helpful for our children, but it's also an insightful way to even just look at our own heart and our own life. So let's see what Paul Tripp has to say. Now we want to move to these, these middle years. Again, the character of these years is a little bit different because now you see the world of the child begin to widen. They begin to go to school. Uh, they begin to develop a wider circle of friends, uh, a bit of a wider geography, more complicated levels of responsibility. And so... Uh, the issue, the central focus here is the development of character. Now let me get into this with you. Not everything, every wrong that your child does is a direct rebellion to authority. Let me say that again. Not every wrong is a direct rebellion to authority. Some wrongs are the fruit of a lack of character. You get the difference? You're not there, you haven't made a command, so a child isn't rebelling against your authority, but they're still doing something that's wrong because they lack character. Let me picture this for you in a situation. Uh, it's Tuesday afternoon in the Snodgrass family. And uh, Mary Snodgrass, the mother, is it's Tuesday evening rather is is in full frenetic fast speed work in the kitchen because in 45 minutes a family of mom and dad and four children are coming over for dinner she's a little bit behind she can't possibly get done what needs to get done and she's feeling the pressure they have an open floor plan house, and so right adjacent to the kitchen without a wall is the family room, and uh, the three children, 7, 9, 11, are playing Wii Bowling together. Okay? You get the scene. And they're actually playing pretty well. What's wrong with the scene? Some of you say, nothing's wrong with the scene. If my children would be playing together, well, I think Jesus would have visited my house. <laughs> well, what's wrong? They haven't directly rebelled against mom's authority. They lack character. What they're doing is unloving. Because those children should walk into the room and say, Mom, is there some way I can help you? Parents, I think... We have grown comfortable with fundamental lack of character in our kids. I think we quit expecting them to be people of character. Some of you, as I told the story, are thinking, yeah, like that's going to happen. Because you're cynical. Sorry, it's true. You don't believe that God has the power to work character into your children and he does and that needs to be a focus for you 
that, that in this period of time, as this child's world is expanding, that good and godly character would develop, that they would have the desire to do what is right in the situations and locations of everyday life. And that, that focus of character is very, very important. You know this shocking degree of selfishness that you're dealing with. The shocking degree of laziness that you're dealing with. The shocking degree of covetousness and jealousy that you're dealing with. The shocking degree of uh, I gotta uh, be the one that's right and I'll argue and create conflict just because I want you to tell me that I'm, I'm the one that's right. Uh, it's just, these, these things are everywhere. Now, I think that we're very good at, at missing those opportunities. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, you're, you're teaching your children to share, okay? That's a basic rule, an uh, 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 issue of character that you want to develop in your children. And a couple of your children are in the family room and they're fighting over the Wii controller, okay? You walk into the room. What is the question that you ask? No, what's the, not the question I told you to ask, the question that you normally ask. You're like Sunday school kids, God? Jesus? Wow. Uh, Yes, you know what you say, who had it first? Now this is a wonderful standard. Prior possession absolves you of all responsibility to love and to share. Get in the room first, yeah. You're teaching selfishness. I gotta tell you this, this is hysterical. My oldest son, one morning, I heard him downstairs. Six years old or so. He's rattling around. It was a Saturday morning. It was early. I, wonder, I thought, what in the world is he doing? He's making all kinds of noise. I went downstairs, and there's a particular place where we kept all the toys that the kids normally had, and he had gotten them out, and he was sitting there with his arms and legs around them all. <laughs> I said, what in the world are you doing? And with a look of utter victory, he said to me, I had them all first today, Daddy. <laughs> Not going to be any sharing today. I beat the system. <laughs> you see, that's a character opportunity. And, and we, we want to do it quickly. We want a quick quick surgical solution so we don't have to actually invest ourselves in the messiness of teaching sharing. Teaching sharing will drive you nuts. Praise Jesus, you're doing your job. There's nowhere in the Bible that God ever promises you that this will be easy. Get a grip, you're a parent. You did the act. You knew what was coming. 
The Bible told you it would be a sinner. <coughs> Accept your responsibility with joy. Don't try to make it neat and easy. It's not neat and it's not easy. It's a mess. Or you're going on vacation. And what you want on vacation is self-parenting children. Right? Because you have to parent in a home. You don't want to parent on my vacation. You don't want to have to deal with the normal hassles that you deal with as a parent, right? And so you're, you're dreaming of familial vacation bliss. Oh my. You're not seven-tenths of a mile down the road and your kids are already fighting with one another. And you're doing this. You drive the van. You don't care who you hit. You just want to hit somebody. <laughs> and then you launch up out with this glorious wisdom. I'm not going on vacation with people like you. You don't deserve a vacation. I'm going to turn the van around. I'm going to go home. I'm going to put your suitcases on the driveway. You can have a vacation there. What's there? They're not directly rebelling against your authority, but they lack character. They lack so much character, they can't sit with one another in a car. I mean, who would have thought that just getting into a car would be such a source of war making? My dad would say this, this wise thing. The whole car is going in the same direction. Like I was afraid that I would get in the car to the car that would break off and go into another direction. My dad once told us we were going on a vacation to pretend that there, were con there was a concrete block wall between my brother Mark and I. We fought for 200 miles about exactly where the wall was. <laughs> then I told him that I'd pulled a block out of the wall and I could reach through and touch him. <laughs> it's character. Or Bobby pushes his sister Susie. She cries. You walk into the room. Here's what you say. Bobby, say you're sorry. He's not. There's nothing sorry about this boy. Why would you tell him to do that? And Bobby says this. Sorry. <laughs> He's obviously not a bit sorry. You say, Bobby, say it like you mean it. <laughs> he doesn't. And so Bobby goes, sorry. You say, Bobby, at least say it like a sentence, like people talk. I'm sorry. You see, there's no character development in that. You're asking this child to be just a glorious little hypocrite. And know what he will learn? He will learn it's best not to do mean things when mom's near. That's not character. That's just becoming a smart sinner. And so you turn around, now having this kid confess something that he, that he doesn't actually feel, you turn around and walk down the hallway, got to look up here, guess what Bobby does to Susie? That'll look good on the video. Uh, <laughs> he's not sorry at all. Are you getting that character? 
Are you stopping and saying, okay, what's going on here? Why are you doing this thing that you're doing? Now get this, what is the problem? What is the character problem? What is the thing in all of those issues that we're struggling with? Notice, your children were made to live with God awareness. They were made to believe that it's not their job to do to live in a way that I choose what's comfortable for me and I choose what's best for me and I choose what's enjoyable for me, I choose what's happy for me. I am made to live in submission to God. God actually defines for me what kind of person I should be. God defines what it means to be a good person, not me. Now you're used to that in creation, aren't you? You're used to what defines a good poodle. What defines a good poodle is not the same that defines a tropical fish. And so God, God defines as a human being, this is the, these are the things I want you to love. These are the things I want you to hate. These are the good things I want you to do. These are the bad things you shouldn't do. These are, this are the kind of, kind of, these are the kinds of things you should love. These are the kinds of things you should di- desire. These are the kinds of things you should think. That's all developing the character of this child. And so you must always have this God word talk going on with your child, knowing there's a God who has defined what's right and good and best and wise, and we always want to know that it's not my job to set those standards. God sets those standards for me. Now, why do all human beings chafe against that? Because the child that you gave birth to is an idolater. Sin, by its very nature, is idolatrous. Sin puts other things in God's place. If I break the rules that the parent is giving me in order to get the acceptance of the friend, what's ruling my heart at that moment? You can talk. The acceptance of a friend. That acceptance is now my functional God because that desire for acceptance is setting the standards for how I will respond to this person and how I respond to my parent. And so the Bible says this shocking thing, that lack of character is actually rooted in idolatry. It's rooted in this war for the heart. When God is not in in his rightful position, then I won't be the kind of person I'm supposed to be, and I won't do the kind of thing I'm supposed to do. Does that make sense? Now, think about this. Stay with me. What is the idol of idols? What is the most seductive idol of all idols? The idol of self. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, Jesus came so that those who live will no longer live for themselves. Sin turns me in on myself. That's 2 Corinthians 5.15. Sin turns me in on myself. Sin makes me self-absorbed. Sin makes me self-focused. Sin makes me selfish in the deepest, fullest sense of what that means. 
And so your children will tend to always insert themselves into God's position. They want to define what's comfortable. They want to define what's good. They want to define what's right. They want to define what is appropriate in a situation. They can't define that that's God's position. And so rather than than finding joy in what is right, I actually find joy in what I want. So right now, what I want is to play the game. I don't give a rip that mom is in the midst of a disaster that will embarrass her. You know what's functioning there? The The idol of comfort. It's idolatry. Now how helpful it would be to actually begin to talk idol worship with your children. You'll rescue their hearts in doing that. Now you can feel my passion. Here's what I think. Your children don't know this stuff. They don't know it. They've been given parents so parents can teach them these wonderful truths. You know, when your seven-year-old is lazy and you say, why are you lazy? He doesn't say, well, I'm an idolater, don't you know? (laughs) I constantly give my heart to false gods. I insert myself in God's position all the time. You shouldn't be surprised. You're a sinner too. (laughs) Well, you never hear that because a child doesn't think that way. It's your job to begin to help the child to think that way. Some children, uh, they are attracted by the idol of acceptance and they ride the roller coaster of other people's opinion of them. Any children that way in your home? Or the idol of comfort. They don't want to do anything that's uncomfortable. Or the idol of control. That's the, little, that's the little diva on the playground who tells her girlfriends, we're all wearing party dresses tomorrow. <laughs> who does she think she is? Well, a little self-sovereign. <laughs> She's the queen of that domain. And she thinks she can go to her girlfriends and command them to do something, and they will do it. Little Sally goes home and says, Mommy, i got to wear a party dress tomorrow to school. Mom says, why? She says, because Mary told me to. See, Mary's in the wrong position. She shouldn't be in that position. Mary is now the fourth member of the Trinity. (laughs) There's only three and all the seats are taken. You see, your root character in the worship of the heart let me say that again, you root character issues in the worship of the heart. So when, when uh, mom walks into the room where the kids are playing the Wii, what's her question? Well, here's a good question. Right now, what's important to you? What's important to you right now? What should be important to you right now? Now, you don't have this conversation. Do you know what I do for you? I do and I do for you and this is the thanks I get? I don't ask for much. Just children who have a twit of love once in a while. If I treated you the way you treated me, treat me, guess what your life would be like? Now when you're doing that, you think your children are saying, my, this is helpful. This is a wise person. I can feel my character changing right now. 
You see, because it misses the point. It's not about you. Those children are not thinking, we're just going to make life hard for mom. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking selfishly. I would rather have my comfort and my pleasure to invest myself in work, so I'll choose pleasure. That's idolatry. Because pleasure and the desire for pleasure is in the position that God should be. Because pleasure is setting the agenda for my words and behavior. Now, if you do that, talk about your own idols to your kids. Let them know this is a struggle for you too. Let them know that you need the rescuing grace of Jesus as much as they do. I was in northern India. I was on a four-day research tour of Hinduism. It was four hard days. And I was in Rishikesh, which is one of the high holy cities of Hinduism, and uh, we in our journeys had visited this temple that was one supposed to be one of the purest incarnations of the god Shiva. It was literally, uh, this will embarrass you, a 20-foot high male sexual organ. And pilgrims would come in, they would fall flat on their faces, they would grab the base of that idol and they would kiss it. I interviewed a dirt poor Indian family who had gone on a pilgrimage for several months. They had literally walked 400 miles to get to this temple and they were weeping as they grabbed this idol. It was the darkest scene I've ever been in. And I found myself running out of the temple. I was running down a dirt road to get to my four-wheel drive vehicle. I was praying, thanking God that I was not like this people. And then it hit me. I am. My idols aren't former, form, formal religious idols. But there's not a day where I don't give myself to idolatry. Maybe it's wanting the world to, to live according to my schedule. Maybe it's wanting to be affirmed as being right. Maybe it's comfort, control, pleasure, respect, appreciation. Something gets me. And I began to weep as I thought, my, my everyday street-level idols are just as vomitous to God as that idol was to me that afternoon. And as I was in my car, all I could pray was, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for your child? To quit debating with you, for him to begin, or her to begin to think, God, help me. I get it wrong again and again and again. I again and again put myself in your position. I again and again serve things other than you, and it creates, it creates dissatisfaction and frustration and conflict in my life. Parents, Give the Spirit of God an opportunity to work in the hearts of your children by connecting character to worship. That's the connection. Because I said, as I said earlier, you've given birth to a worshiper. This child in every moment of life is serving something. Because that's how he's been hardwired. Everything that child does 
everything that child says is somehow, someway, an expression of worship. And when I worship God, then I value what God says is valuable. I love what God loves and I do what God's called for me to do. I think we talk about spirituality as if it's some item outside of our normal everyday life. You live your spirituality every day. You live it in the hallways and bathrooms and bedrooms and and family rooms and kitchens and vans of everyday life. And so you want to be making that connection. That's a connection your child will never make. That's wonderful biblical information that they need to have that they will not have without your teaching. Well, that's, um, I don't know, that might be a different way of thinking about parenting. I know it's a, it's a challenge for me, but I want to just hit on some of these key points just to, and then maybe actually look at a couple biblical texts as the big idea being that character is rooted in worship. So first he just explained not every wrong is a direct rebellion to authority. Some wrongs are the fruit of a lack of character. I mean, ultimately it is a rebellion against God's authority, but it's not like they're dis- they're disobeying a command that you've given them. We see that all the time in the home. If you guys have kids this age, you see that too. Where you know you you tell them, you ask them to help clean up the house, and they maybe they go clean up like the three things that are obvious to them, but then they don't raise their eyes and look around at the other things that are all over the place. They they do they maybe they obey, but it's a it's a it's a minimal obedience. There's not a, a heart behind it. We, we know, though, that God defines what our character should be. He, he defines what is good, what, really what a human being should be. And it, human, it's not just someone who keeps all the rules. It's someone who is, is, has a good and right and just moral character who's doing the will of God. So he's, he made this claim that character issues are rooted in the worship of the heart. What did you guys think about that claim? And can you think of any scriptures that, you would, that would substantiate that? Someone can turn to Psalm 115, um, and then maybe someone else turn to Romans 1, and someone else turn to Romans 8. I want to look at a few scriptures that I, th- I think help us to see this, that character is rooted in what we worship. Another way to put it would be that you will become like what you worship. If you worship your own image, if you're, you're, you have this idea of what the good life is, what, what you want your children to be like, you know, what you want to be like, you will begin to become like that image that you are worshiping. Uh, Psalm 115. Um, can someone read verses um, 4 through 8? Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make sound, a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Verse 8, he's talking about idols here, actual silver and gold statues people are worshiping. 
And he says this provocative thing in verse 8, that those who make idols become like them. So do all who trust in them. And actually, that, that would be played out later. You know, remember, there's a spiritual dimension to this. The idols that can't see and that can't hear. God said to the people of Israel that they would have ears but not hear. They would have eyes but not see. And that as they gave their hearts to idols, they would actually become like them and that they would become spiritually dull, spiritually dead. They would be unresponsive to God and His, and His Word. So those who make them become like them. I think that's just another way of saying that character is rooted in the worship of the heart. If you give your heart to idols, you become like them. Now, who has Romans? There's two places in the book of Romans where Paul talks about images. Or we could say idols, but images is probably better. But can someone read Romans 1, um, 22 through 25? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So here we see this on the negative side of people who gave, exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So that's idol language. They're, they're not worshiping God. They're not giving Him glory. Instead, they're exchanging that for created things, things that they're placing on the throne instead of God. And as a result, God's giving them over. Their character is being uh, debased. They're, they're giving over to impurity, to dishonoring behavior, and he goes on, he talks about that in the rest of the chapter, what their character is becoming like, but it's rooted in this worship issue. Their heart, God is not on the throne of their heart. Now, the other place he uses that language of image is in Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. I'll go ahead and read that. He says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He, here's the other side. The same word image is used, but now it's not images of creatures, images of, of birds and animals and creeping things. It's the image of his son. And it's those who love God, those who are, that's the worship language, those who are worshiping God, who are being conformed into the image of his son. So, this is where I think we can make the biblical case, actually, that character is going to flow out of worship. So, what does that mean in our homes? We just talked about this, the connection between character and worship. So, let me ask you this. Uh, maybe you've thought about this. So, this, you're having this, this, trying to have this discussion with your kids. Like, we want you to worship God and love God. What if your child, you know, a child is seven, eight, six, five, you know, they don't, they're not a believer necessarily. You don't know where they're at spiritually. Should you still hold this standard of, you know, the standard that we as believers, we have for loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. Can you still hold up that standard of godly character for your six-year-old or seven-year-old or eight-year-old? Or, you know, and what's the opposite? Well, first let me just ask that question. Should you hold that standard up for him or her? What are we tempted to do instead of holding up that standard? 
Make excuses. Make excuses. What about the example of the sharing? Yeah. Do what's efficient. <laughs> yeah, the, the example of sharing, uh, you know, you could think of others, but the standard is love your neighbor as yourself. But we want to make, a, what's the standard that we want to set for our children in that, in, in that instance? First possession is nine-tenths Yeah, possession is nine-tenths of the law. You, know, you can have it for five minutes, I'll start my clock, you can have it for five minutes. So why, what's the issue with that? If we, if you realize what we're doing is we're actually lowering a standard there. We're giving the children a lower standard than God's law. God's law is love your neighbor as yourself. When we lower that standard and give them a standard that's maybe easier to keep and that maybe makes, makes a little more sense to us, what's the issue underneath that? Not confronting their rebellion against God and then exposing their need for the gospel. And we're, as to use his language, missing uh, moments of ministry uh, in all of those areas where their rebellion against God should and can be exposed. Right. I think it's difficult to know what to say in those situations. I mean, it, <laughs> Right. We resort to things that uh, force behavior, like he said, you know, say you're sorry. Right. External nailing apples to a tree again. He says to say something like, what's important to you? What's important here? Right. Try to remember to say something like that in the midst of a battle. It's kind of hard. Yeah, and it's also true that usually, I mean, I don't know, in my experience, the kids, they're not always going to give you know, the answer that he, that where it all just works out smoothly and you have this ministry conversation that you just get straight to the gospel on a, you know, on a straight line. I mean, um, it often, you know, when the other party is unresponsive, <laughs> it's hard to have that conversation. Did you want to say something, Steve? Well, I heard two different questions, but like, I, I have kind of an issue with the way this is asked. Because we can't hold our children to a godly standard at such a young age. We have to teach them the standard that we want to hold them to. Right? And so the other question that I had heard was, you know, what's going on there is, you know, hey, just say you're sorry kind of thing. It's our laziness, right? It's it's our idol. Like I have my time's more important. What I do in this moment is more important than what I need mean, you just say you're sorry or who had it first or whatever. Um and that's the real problem. So what did you mean you said we can't hold them to a godly standard? You can't just expect it. I mean, you have to teach it. Is right. what I'm saying. Right? Right. So like, uh, you can't go into, and like, so what you just asked, or what was just asked was, you know, what's more important to you? you what you said is correct, like, in my mind, right? This is, I don't mean to be arrogant here. Um, but you can't expect them to, to tell you the right answer. Right. Um, so you have to take the time to explore that with them. Well, this is what's important to you. What does God say is important to you? Right? That takes a lot of time. Right? And and I don't find it hard as far as a person to know what to do. I find it hard to spend the time. Right. No, it certainly does take time. But I do want to... And maybe someone else, if you want to jump in on this, but I'm thinking, I mean, and I think I hear what you're saying. That you're, it's not, I think we, 
I mean, I think we do want to hold the standard for them, but it's not as though we use that standard to beat them over the head. We use that standard to actually, I mean, one, show them what God commands of them, but then show them that, like us, they fall short of that standard. And that, that you know, God's standard isn't, you know, you each get to share equal amounts and, you know, everything is proportioned perfectly and everyone gets the same size meal. And you know, that's not God's standard. God's standard is love your neighbor as yourself. And all the times that we, our children fall short of that, we get to explain to them that we fall short of it too and we need a Savior that can keep that for us. Is that... Well, what I, maybe. I, I okay. think we're saying the same thing. Maybe, look, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Yeah. That's called teaching. Yeah. That's called Yeah, like I just can't expect my... What I'm saying, when I hear the words should hold them to the standard of God, like God of character, I can't expect it, is all I'm saying. Right. We understand they're not going to Yeah, right. Like, but we and so that like, question... It sure. trips me up. Okay. Yeah, I hear what you're saying then. Right. We know they're not going to keep it just like we know we're not going to keep it. <laughs> right. I was just going to say it brings us back to getting the church on time. My, my job is to hold them to the standard that God has set for me, and that means I have to hold myself to that standard first. Um, you know, and so the inconvenience that it's going to cause me to have to stop the frantic trying to get to church on time that I'm trying to accomplish and go, okay, wait a minute here, we need to we need to stop for a minute. What is important in your heart right now, little child? Alright, well let's have a conversation about that. Getting to church on time may not actually not be more important than me upholding God's standard in my own heart in that moment and imparting that to my child, not just by uh, instruction but by example. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. It takes time, Steve. It is. It's going to take time to understand that, and even to take the time to think about your own heart. What it, what is controlling my desires and why I'm wanting this situation to go my way at this time? Go ahead. The, the whole goal is not to like modify the behavior of your child, where the you know, like success is like your child goes, "You're right, Dad. I'm an idolater." I always put myself first and I shouldn't do that. That's not the goal at all. They're not going to get there until God grabs their heart and changes their heart. So really what you're just trying to do is hold the standard and show them and unveil to them that they are missing the mark, right? They are sinners. So they don't know they're sinners. Right. So that's basically where you're trying to get to, not to fix them. (laughs) Right. And not to, one of my, maybe I didn't word the question right, but one of my concerns that I see is, um, you know, if you lower the standard, so it's something that they actually can do, that's, a, you know, something that seems achievable, then they grow up their whole life thinking they're a good person, they've, they're keeping the rules, and you end up with a smug, self-righteous teenager who looks down on everyone who doesn't keep the rules because they do keep all the rules, whereas... If you're actually going to say, like, one of the verses that we've talked about sometimes at home is Philippians 2, verse 3, I think, where it says, you know, in humility, count others more important than yourselves. That is a, (laughs) that just unmasks all kinds of selfishness in your home. I mean, I don't do that myself. I, you know, I'd rather, you know, sit on the computer and do my little thing while there's like chaos happening in the other room. So it's, you know, it unmasks my selfishness, but, you know, it unmasks your children's selfishness in a way that, you know, other stand. If we lower the standards, so that doesn't happen. We're not going. We're going to miss those opportunities. I was just going to say this. Why can I have in the conversation amidst this? That and it's you see it in society right now. When you start modifying that standard that God has set, 
I mean, it's set permanently. It's in writing as well, but it's always been from eternity. And when we start modifying it, you get other religions. You get cults that, is, that are established. You get children, in this instance, that begin to believe that, okay, well, so I can't meet the standard that God set, but my mom and dad showed me that it's okay to modify it and to live this way. That's okay. And so now look at a broader connection to our culture, you see that Americanized or Westernized Christianity, that it's okay to say, well, I believe in God, right. but everything about what you do and who you are reflects nothing in Scripture. Well, why is that? It's because parents, over a long course of time, have given into this, and I've failed it too, Right. but we, we all allow this change, and sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, but as those children grow into adults, they continue that, and it just we get further and further away right. from the standard God. Yeah, and you can have someone that's a good citizen, that's a good worker, but whose heart is just hardened to the gospel because they're just relying on their own good works. I'll just pick up on what Steve said that's really important, is that me as a parent, my own idolatry will keep me from engaging with my children in these times about these things. Yeah. So for expediency or my own comfort or my own desires, I'll neglect to try to work with them to unveil sin in their hearts because I don't I really don't have time for this right now. So it becomes all about me. So I know for me, I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to dealing with these issues because I struggle with idolatry. Right. We need to really so how about just an example, you know, hypothetical child um, that's maybe generally compliant, like not, not necessarily like raise their fists in your face, defiant, um, not directly rebellious often, but just self-absorbed, characteristically lazy, does the bare minimum to help and serve others and then, you know, disappears to do their own thing. Um, so what is the character issue what is the worship issue that's underneath this kind of behavior they're into their own comfort yeah I just have to say when he's talking about the worship in the Hindu religion and what have you and he came to the conclusion about the self being the idol, it's like I felt very convicted. It's like every day, how do I ever fight this yeah. without God's help? It's never going to change. Right. So, underneath this, if your child is basically living for themselves, they're living for their own comfort, their own pleasure, um, you know, just like you and I have that temptation, how do you address that in a long term approach where you're actually seeking to shepherd their heart, to teach them? To actually, you know, work character change in them. What are what are some strategies? And that's one thing that he talks about, you know, in this book as well. Is just, you know, these kinds of character issues. It's not a one stop. You know, you can't just. There's no magical potion. It's going to take time, and it's going to take intentionality. It's going to take purpose as a parent in like thinking through, recognizing these character issues, and then working over time to address them. So hypothetical situation maybe you have a child like this at home right now but what are some ways that in a long-term sustained way you can go about teaching that and shepherding your child to grow in um, in character uh, I think one of the things that 
that can be helpful is to help them get out of their own head and their own world and that self-focused and just help them try to stop and think what another person might be encountering in their mm-hmm. in their world and you know you know what the neighbor next door might be thinking you know what are they excited about today you know what are they what are their what are some of the things that they're um, struggling with or maybe something that they're a sin that they're having an issue with it's like to kind of get out of their own head and see that other people are um, right. struggling or they or they're having a good time or a bad time so that they can start to even see that because I think a lot of times like you get so in your own head that you only see what you see right and and I even like uh, there was there's a book uh, gosh I can't think of the name it's a, it's a very popular book but it talks about going into other people's shoes mm-hmm. and I think sometimes like just getting out of your own thing and try to, trying to help them to see other people's perspectives and um, so that they can serve their neighbors in a more they can start seeing how they can serve and how they can love their neighbor. Yeah. Anything else? I, I think it's obviously appropriate and important to emphasize the, the centrality of the heart and that all the issues of life flow from the heart. But on the other hand, it's important to realize that you can address behavior on kind of two different tracks and timelines. Like if the child is being selfish and the self-centered, you're not going to be like, well, there's no point in me correcting the behavior because I wouldn't be addressing the heart issue. So I'm only going to talk and have these gospel conversations. Um, so I think there's, you do address the behavior and, and say like, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't want to. Like you are going to help the family. <laughs> you are going to help your brother, you know, uh, do the dishes, period. Uh, and then maybe, and then there, there needs to be additional conversations where you're pointing out verses like Philippians 2, right. have this mind in yourself, which is which was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, you know, the quality of God, the need to grasp. Exposing that selfishness and holding up the, the standard of God's law and exposing their need and then calling them to, to faith in Christ and what he's done. But I, I just feel like you know, if, if I don't want to go to church today, I still go. Uh, <laughs> even if there's a heart issue there, but you still pull up. Um, and so, I, I just feel like you have to address both the behaviors yeah. while acknowledging that's not sufficient. That's not enough. Yeah. Right. What I'm yeah. hearing is like you have to model self-sacrifice and work you know, to our kids. So we have to be training them up to do that by doing those things as a part of Say, not just saying that's bad, that's wrong, but you know, reading your book all day long is just self-serving. But you know, we're doing these things, and we're active, actively demonstrating how what this looks like in our family by working hard and not right. And I can think of like specific examples, like with my lazy kid. When I come into the kitchen after dinner and they've been on cleanup crew and there's still junk all over the counter, I don't clean up after it. I say, hey, listen, you were on, you were on cleanup and there's still crumbs all over the counter and you need to wipe the counter again because that's not, that's not going to work. That's not a clean counter. That's the job. So you have to come back and do it. But a lot of times these are the kids under, they're trying to just stay under the radar. And so I think sometimes it's it's there is like a 
a conversation that needs to happen when there's not an issue going right. on, right? Like yesterday or lately, I've noticed that you only do the bare minimum and that you're really in your own head. Like, so this week, I would like to see you actually helping and contributing in a way that like is not just cleaning up your own stuff. Like, what do you think that would look like? You know, trying to have a conversation with them so that, because this is training, right? They don't know they're in their own head. They don't know, they're, they're still learning. Right. The conversations just go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's wisdom in that and just not, I mean, it's not gonna happen in a moment and it's probably not gonna happen at the moment of conflict where that's probably not when they're most receptive to that kind of instruction and thoughtful conversation. But, you know, over time, if we can be purposeful and recognize part of what is just you know, being aware of what our children's character needs are and then working towards and praying towards growth in those areas and addressing them with this long, the long haul in view. Ray, did you want to? Yeah, I was just going to say, we're, you know, and of course, we're, we're moving into the 6 to 12 age range here. We're taking it as an assumption that we've done the uh, 0 to 6 stuff well. Um, yeah. Like the fear of God and the association in the mind and when I do bad things now we're, we're adding to this being lazy is one of those bad things or being not helpful is one of those bad things so we want to have that that already built in association that doing bad things isn't good hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah no it's certainly uh, it's, a, it's a, a long process I mean but it it's important, I mean, we talked, like Steve was saying, it takes time to have the conversations. It takes, you know, thought. It takes effort. It's not going to be an easy, it's not an easy calling. Um, we too, we have to direct them to God's Word, where we learn about the character of God, who's a God who works, right? He's always at work, and He created us to work, and work's a good thing. And, like, I'm trying to instill that, especially in my boys, um, because sometimes they don't want to do chores, you know, they don't... I'm like, hey, this is how God created us and designed us, not to be lazy, not to be lethargic, but to, to do work right. and to seek to help others. And so that's the standard. And so, you know, I think right. we have to direct them to the... Right. And then when God's on the throne and we live that way, life is... There's blessing. There's there's joy. It doesn't mean life's always easy, but it means that there's there's blessing and joy in living life the way God designed. So... And conversely, it's a path to ruin when yourself is on the throne. Um, all right, let me, uh, we're out of time. Let me close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we are, I am just reminded of my own inadequacy and insufficiency, my own idolatry and selfishness. And um, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here as we together seek to shepherd our children well and and understand the character issues that are going on, the worship issues in their heart, what are they giving their hearts to, and the ways that they're being tempted to worship other gods besides you. I pray that you would give us um, clarity and, and courage and, and patience to work through these things with our children, to be teaching them and instructing them and holding up the gospel for them to see that though we fall short of your standards, that Christ has made us right with you. He's made us righteous in your sight. We pray that we would look to him for the power to obey and that you would be transforming us and our children more into his image. In his name we pray. Amen.